0: Open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want to take on a theme that runs through the whole book, a really important theme, one that has major implications on marriage and family and our lives uh, currently at this stage of life. So uh, some really good stuff we're going to try to pull together from a couple different chapters. So while you're opening there, I would like for you parents to recall that moment when the doctor hands you the baby and basically tells you to go and figure it out, okay? Okay. Uh, that was my experience uh, f- for us, the first baby that we had uh, Bethany it was uh, she was off in a separate room c section and so she 's kind of out of it and i'm I 'm handed this child and told to walk over to some other room, and no one accompanied me, no one helped me, no one really did anything and just they just handed me a baby and told me to go and There was this like transfer of responsibility literally. Placed into my hands, and now I've got to take a life with me and walk over and find where I'm supposed to be and, and then figure everything else out as we go. And so uh, you can relate to this just this process of problem solving. There, there's one problem after another, and you just have to figure out what you're supposed to do in uh, each situation. So, one such situation is figuring out how to change diapers. Some of the ladies in the room, maybe had experience changing diapers before their own children. Maybe some of the men in the room had experience doing the same. I had never changed a diaper in my life until Alyssa, our first. And I don't think I'll ever forget the experience. Uh, I was not given a rundown on how to do it, but I thought it was pretty self-explanatory. Take off the old diaper, put a new one on, call it good. And And so I went in with a lot of confidence, and I didn't necessarily, like, dream my whole life, like, kind of envision what it was going to be like when I changed my first diaper. In fact, I had never really put a whole lot of thought into it at all, just what it would be like, so my expectations weren't totally dialed in and, like, fleshed out a whole lot. But they, whatever my expectations were, plans didn't go uh, exactly the way maybe I expected that they would go because uh, I'm standing at the changing table, and um, my mother-in-law is standing directly behind me, kind of like looking over my shoulder. She finds out it's my first diaper, so she feels like she's going to help me through this, and we're going to do this together. And so instantly, I'm already trying to do things my way and not the way that she's telling me to do them. And uh, she's changed many diapers. I should have listened to her wisdom. But uh, at one point... I took the old diaper off, and then there's that key period of time between diapers when things could go wrong, and sure enough, they did. Uh, during that little window of time when the, one, the old diaper is taken away and the new one has not yet been placed, um, it was maybe one of the first bowel movements. And so the, there was a muconium situation that happened there. Is a, and it, and it maybe one could use the word eruption uh, happened. And um, I was not prepared for it. The diaper wasn't placed. It was a total mess. And she's like now coaching me through how to solve this problem. And it's just at the end of the day, not what I hoped or dreamed my first diaper situation would be like. It didn't go the way I expected it to go. And I think that could be said about A whole lot of situations post-first diaper, um, there's all sorts of issues and conflicts and problems that come up in just dealing with kids. Doesn't always happen the way we expect it. You get fast forward a couple years after the first diaper and, you know, we find ourselves sitting awake in our beds in the middle of the night trying to explain to a three-year-old or something um, how their bad dream wasn't real, and they can just go back to sleep, and there's not actually a snake in their bed, and whatever it may be, trying to use the logic to explain the situation, and it's just not registering, and then, or you're sitting in bed trying to figure out how, you know, should we go to the doctor, um, do, do we need to pile in the car and go see the emergency room, or can we just kind of ride this out through the rest of the night, just sorts situations that You don't expect to be in. Expect to sleep through the night. You expect expect to you know lay down and then wake up in the morning and, and go about your business. But it doesn't always happen exactly the way you plan for it to go. In marriage, we do premarital counseling. We try to anticipate some of the issues that couples will face, and we've got a great list of topics to work through in premarital counseling. And I think as a church, we do a really good job of uh, communicating really important things up front, but there is a full disclaimer with every premarital counseling that we go through. It's like, we just scratched the surface and there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't cover and you're just going to have to figure it out. Um, So figure it out together. And that's the way a, a whole bunch of issues are in our lives, whether it's marriage, Or parenting. There isn't a textbook that spells out a step-by-step plan for every scenario we find ourselves in. And to complicate things, we live in a Genesis 3 world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where things are messed up and they don't work the way we expect them to work. Things go wrong. Things go bad. So what do we do? You need wisdom to navigate a fallen and broken world there's uncertainty in life you don't anticipate everything that happens things go wrong so you need wisdom in to navigate marriage and parenting in an unpredictable life and so ecclesiastes is one of the books in the Bible that really brings this reality to the surface and calls it like it is, and I think provides some direction for how to navigate a fallen and broken world with wisdom. So I think it's a call to attain wisdom, and it gives us some directions for um, actually how to achieve wisdom as well. So in chapter 9, starting in verse 11... It says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time like fish that are taken into an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men, man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun. Okay, so he gets into wisdom at that point. But just right there in verses 11 and 12 and then down in chapter 10, if you just look with me at verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun. Ecclesiastes ten five. As it were, an error proceeding from the ruler, folly is set in many high places and the rich are set in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And so those couple sets of verses that I just read to you illustrate the unpredictability of life and sometimes the backwards nature of life. Sometimes you can do everything right and things still go wrong. You can do everything by the book but you still fail or the outcome isn't ideal. This is a the reality of living in a fallen and a broken world. And so the first point if we want to navigate it with wisdom is to remember that God is in control. Remember that God is in control. When we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we ought to keep in mind the way it concludes. At the end of the book, there is this massive overarching conclusion that through it all, in it all, you ought to go through life with this reverential fear of God. There is a uh, loving and kind and intentional God who oversees all that happens in our unpredictable world. And so we got to go through life, through all the challenges, with this reference point of fearing and knowing the God who's over it all. So, these things come as a surprise to us. Things seem backwards to us. They don't come as a surprise to God. I've never been a waiter I still have daydream nightmares. Is that, I don't know if that's a thing, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Like I'm sitting in, sitting in the restaurant having a daydream that is a nightmare. <laughs> that if I were a waiter, I would for sure be the kind of waiter who at some point spills an entire tray of drinks on some person in the restaurant. I can just see myself doing this, you know, and the guy comes by with a huge tray full of drinks all these different colors in the cups with bubbles fizzing up to the top. I can just picture myself tripping, stumbling, hitting an elbow, whatever, and the whole tray goes crashing down on some lady wearing a pretty dress. And um, I think the book of Ecclesiastes shows us and tells us that someday you could be sitting in a restaurant and some doofus like me could spill a load full of uh, drinks all over your pretty dress. Or you could be the waiter who is doing everything right, you're holding your you know, tray by the book, you know, you're, you're following instructions, you're doing exactly as you've been trained, but someone you know, steps out right in front of you, something happens and you trip and you fall, and though you didn't plan on doing it, you drop an entire tray of drinks on someone. Sometimes you're the person that by no fault of your own gets the drink spilled on you. Your dress is covered in orange crush. Sometimes you're the guy who does the spilling, and um, that's the world in which we live, and that's the world in which God is in control over it all, working in and through it all. And we ought to remember that when we are tempted to be frustrated about the uncertainties of life or the unpredictabilities of life or when things just don't go the way we want them to go, in spite of our best efforts, we have to remember that God is in control. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, he is addressing the issue of um, challenging circumstances in our life. And he recognizes that trials, as he calls them, cause us to grieve. They hurt us. They're they're challenging. But he says, in this you rejoice. In trials, in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, you can rejoice, though now for a little while. They're temporary. And then there's Two of my favorite words in the whole Bible, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Let me read the whole thing again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is in control of all circumstances in our lives. And what this passage gives us is a whole lot of hope that he is up to something good in your life if there's a challenging circumstance uh, that you're facing. Because what this says is you can rejoice, it's temporary, it does hurt. Challenging circumstances do cause us to grieve, but if necessary, they're there. And as soon as a trial ceases to become necessary, as soon as a challenging circumstance ceases to be necessary for you, it seems to be the case that it will not be there anymore. Trials are only there. Challenging circumstances are only there if necessary. And what the passage says is what it's producing in you is good things. Your faith is being stretched and tested and purified like gold in the fire. As soon as that particular challenging circumstance isn't necessary anymore to grow you and change you to be the person that God wants you to be in this situation, then it will cease to exist. And that is something for us to remember when unpredictable things happen or challenging circumstances happen. Not only is God in control of it, but he is doing good things through it in our lives. We don't always see those right away, but we can have this sort of overarching cons- confidence to remember that God is in control. When we do that, circumstances don't change necessarily. Um, when, when, we, when we bring this sort of trust and confidence of God's sovereignty into the equation, uh, circumstances don't always get immediately better but our attitude does. And um, trusting God through your current challenges in life um, will help you through the problem, but it won't necessarily solve the problem. Uh, Bethany and I uh, just went through a season of waiting for um, our house to sell. I've shared that with you. It's a, a minor sort of trial in our lives Um, and I think we had a measure of trust that God was in control and I think that trust had to grow the longer we waited and as we had trust circumstances didn't immediately get better or change in fact just when we kind of wanted to get past the whole trusting and waiting thing God made us trust and wait a whole lot longer, and uh, that was good and gracious of him to do that, because if I were to have stopped the trial, I would have stopped it a lot shorter than God stopped it, and I think he taught us a lot during that phase after I would have stopped it and before it actually stopped, and uh, I illustrate that, I say that to illustrate the concept that we ought to trust. That does help us through the process, but it doesn't change our circumstances along the way. God changes those in his good timing, and, and he's doing good things through it. We don't always know what those things are. In fact, you know, we were thinking, I think our default position is to think that God is making us wait for something, or he's putting challenging circumstances in our life In order to bless us materially, in order to um, bring about more, uh, you know, financial, to to get a better deal, get more money on the sale of our house or to get a better uh, offer or whatever it may be. I think our default is to assume that God is making us wait so that we can be blessed physically in some way or another. And it could very well be the case that God is making us wait so that we lose materially. We're stretched financially. It's not a win um, on a horizontal level. And God is doing good things through that. And so we have to remember that the end of the book, Ecclesiastes acknowledges that there is a good and loving God who's over and above it all, and we ought to Keep that perspective as we navigate an unpredictable life. That's the first concept. Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, he says, This is an unpredictable life we live in. Things don't always go the way we expect. And so he illustrates the power of wisdom. Wisdom ought to be something that we get, that we pursue and attain in order to navigate a challenging life. He starts in verse 13. I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. We don't know all the details about this little story, but um, it goes on. No one remembered that poor man, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. What we see here is the, the power of wisdom. A poor guy in this big city up against the big king was able to change the results. So I don't know what sort of wisdom or strategy he employed to do this, but it illustrates this concept that wisdom is a valuable thing. That's point number two. Value wisdom. Wisdom value it. It's powerful and anyone can get it. Even in this case, a poor, no-name guy in the midst of a great big city. Wisdom is good and useful. Look at verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is is good, it's powerful, and um, it is something that ought to be pursued as we navigate uh, marriage and family issues. Lots of unpredictable things that happen here. We need wisdom. And uh, I think this is the, the definition of wisdom that I gave at the very beginning of the year uh, I want to I give it again, I, I think when I, use, when I use this word wisdom, what I mean, and I think when the book of Ecclesiastes uses the word wisdom, this is what it means, it's understanding the fundamental issues of life in relation to God. It's understanding life in relation to God. It's having that fear of God that you bring with you through all the circumstances of life. And so whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever situation you find yourself in, you, you go about it in relation to God living in this fear this healthy reverence and awe and submission to God and in doing so we 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 recognize the purpose of these difficulties the the reason one of the reasons why difficulties are in our life it's it's the classroom of sanctification it's where we we learn it's where God teaches us who he is and what it means to be his people And um, we ought to pursue it. And the Proverbs tell us how to go about pursuing and getting wisdom. And I, I think that we ought to do that if we are married and have a family. We ought to be people who are first in line, knocking at the door to get wisdom. Because there are going to be situations and challenges that there isn't a textbook for. There, there isn't a step-by-step direction. Even in, even in God's Word, there isn't a specific step-by-step direction of what to do in every situation. And so we need to be people who have pursued wisdom and attained wisdom in order to navigate uncharted territory with this healthy fear of God in place. So James chapter one calls us to ask for wisdom. I don't know when the last time you did that was, but it, it could be a good thing for you to do tonight in your group or after your group or with your spouse. Ask God for wisdom. Grab your wife's hand and spend a few minutes praying and asking God to give both of you wisdom. Wisdom. And there, there's this promise in James 1 that he'll give it to you. What a great thing to do tonight. I think also wisdom begins, according to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, with fearing God. So if you ask for wisdom tonight, open up the book of Proverbs and see. It says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So here, Is part of God answering your prayer? He's giving you the Bible that shows you what it looks like to to get this sort of thing that you're asking for. Begin fearing God. Read your Bible. Spend time understanding who God is so that you can live in relation to him. Wisdom comes from spending time with and learning from godly people. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So, be someone who pursues it in this sort of way, and then implement what you read in your Bibles and what you hear from godly counselors into your day. You know, we, we, we are prone to have such a disconnection between what we do and talk about here at church And how we live our lives day in and day out. And we need to become people who integrate the concepts of Scripture and the things we read in our Bible and the things we talk about when we're in our right minds in small group settings with day in and day out when the rubber meets the road, interactions in the house, dealing with. Conflicts with a spouse, dealing with parenting issues. These things need to integrate together. And what you read and understand from the Bible needs to have a direct impact on the way you go about your marriage and family life. I think as couples, we can help to point each other toward wisdom. As a spouse, you can come alongside and help your spouse. To spend time in God's word and understand who God is and how to live life in relation to Him. In Proverbs or uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, it goes on after that section I just read. Um, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And, and it goes on there in chapter 10 to, to illustrate not only the first, the, the power of wisdom, but the equal power of folly. Uh, folly is also a powerful thing, and anyone can also get that. And we ought to be really careful because a little bit of it can spoil a whole bunch of good. And so we need to be people who pursue wisdom because life is unpredictable. And a third point, looking at chapter 11, is don't wait for perfect conditions. These are some of my favorite verses in, in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. I think that's a reference to investing and uh, being wise with, even with money, this Hebrew proverb. But it goes on, this is what I wanted to show you. Give a portion to seven or to eight. For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Oh, verse, verse 3. This is what I want to show you. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. I love verse 3. I love it. It's like if the clouds are full of rain, they're going to empty themselves on the earth. If the tree is leaning to the south... It's going to fall to the south. And you can't do anything about it. I mean, I could just plaster that verse on my wall in my house. There's things that I wish I could control that I just can't control. When God wants to empty the clouds, he's going to empty the clouds. And when the tree's going to fall, it's going to fall. And where it falls, there it's going to lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. So if you sit and you wait and you watch, observing the wind, waiting to go and sow your seed till the timing is just right, um, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So verses three and four, things happen that are out of your control, and if you wait for all the ducks to line up perfectly in a row before you pull the trigger on something, you could be waiting for a really long time. Don't wait for conditions to be perfect before you act, because Ecclesiastes recognizes we live in a fallen world, and circumstances will rarely, if ever, line up perfectly in order for us to move forward with a decision. We ought to plan, we ought to be strategic, we ought to be careful, but at the end of the day, we need to demonstrate a trust in God because we make decisions, and though everything isn't perfect and all lined up, we make decisions and and trust moving forward that God's in control of it because he is. So we do the best we can, we make the best decisions we can, but leave the outcome and the results to the Lord. Trust God with the outcome. Life is uncertain and I think we've experienced that. That's why I wanted to talk about this. Scripture says so. It acknowledges and affirms what what we see to be true in reality. And it tells us at least a couple things about how to live in light of it. Life is uncertain, but we ought to remember that God is in control in all of the chaos from our perspective. We ought to also see that wisdom is a valuable thing if we want to navigate a fallen and a twisted world. And we ought to not sit and wait for things to stop being fallen and twisted before we move forward. Let's move forward with a full trust in the Lord. And there is one thing that we can take to the bank. There is one thing that doesn't change. Um, There are promises in Scripture that God has given us in Christ. You You can be confident about the resurrection Jesus rose from the dead and said that if you put, put your trust in me, you'll rise too. If you ask for forgiveness, you'll be forgiven. There are certain unchangeable realities because God has stepped in and provided them for us. And we ought to take those promises that are ours in Christ to the bank as we navigate a fallen and sinful world in this sort of way. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the directions that you give us in your word. Thank you that uh, we can uh, get wisdom. I pray that we'd be people that seek it, that we study the Bible, that we learn from uh, what it says, that we would put counselors around us to remind us of the truth of your word, so that when life takes unexpected turns, as we know it will, we're ready and able to navigate them in good and uh, God-honoring ways. So help us with these things. God, help us to have strong marriages and healthy relationships with our spouse. God, help us to do a good job of loving our spouse and uh, living with them uh, in light of these realities. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.